0: When you have kids, they don't care what kind of a week you had. They don't care if you got on a red-eye flight and like have been busting your butt and you're exhausted. If they need you, they need you. Yeah. I can't go all the way to zero. I can't even go to 10. Like you have to leave something for your family. You have to leave something for yourself. I would love to talk about
1: identity. Okay. This is going to be a little bit different. I feel like a lot of people struggle with it. Just the idea of who they are, who they think they are, who other people think they are. And I'm looking at NYX, the company you've built. It has such a clear mission and identity. And you've done that while also having children and, you know, doing that
0: other thing. Mm. Have you ever struggled with self-identity? Yeah, I mean, I think I have. I think I've always had these jobs where I've tied so much of myself to my work. So my first job out of college, I worked at Universal Music. I was a publicist. And I've always had, you know, even then, my friends all had like very boring jobs that no one wanted to talk about. And everyone wanted to talk to me about my job. Mm -hmm. So I've always had these rules where I've thrown myself into them. And it's become and shaped really like a part of of who I am, almost because they're all consuming. And Nix is certainly no different. I mean, my Instagram handle is Joanna Nix. Most people think it's my last name. Even our ambassadors, like in wait, our, it's not—it's not my last name.
1: No, everyone was asking who are you interviewing, Joanna Griffith Nix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, exactly, exactly. No, so it's—it's it's not my last name, but I think because it's my social handles, like even our whole ambassador network at Nix thinks it's my it's last, last name. name, and so it's very closely the company's very closely tied to who I am, and I think you know when I struggled with that the most, I would say is. When you're balancing this dance of being forward facing with your company, but also recognizing that not every day is a good day and some of them can be hard. And so I think part of the reason why I've chosen along the journey of NYX to be so open about the good days, the bad days and what have you is because it felt like me, like there was nothing to hide behind, if that makes sense. I was just being who I was. And it was so part of my identity that I felt like I had to share the good and like the bad. I leaned into it. I leaned into it. Yeah, exactly. But there were moments, I mean, especially
1: in the motherhood journey, right? Because it's, once you have children, it's like a whole new person is also born, mm. right? You have this new version that you've never met before, that you're trying to understand who that is. How did that come together. Because for me personally, I mean, I started my career already had my two kids um, and mine is very intertwined with my personal life. And I felt very open to share and document and do all the things. But when I had my third while being, you know, having the company and doing social media, I hit a wall. Like I gave birth to Max and I was so confused because my identity was also very much tied to my personal brand and, you know, the audience facing persona. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot for me to understand who I am because all of a sudden I wanted to kind of pull back. I wanted to pull back and I wanted to understand who am I now? Who am I as this mother of three? And it was very confusing for me. Did
0: you ever went through that? I've had those moments of wanting to pull back for sure. Like there's been countless times over the years where I've said, you know, I just want to quit social. I don't want to be on there anymore. I just want to have space or some kind of a distance. I think for me, having kids, it unlocked a whole part of my personality that I didn't know existed. Meaning I always thought I was a control freak, (laughs) like you know, wow. like to be in charge. And I do. I very much do. I mean, I have my own boss and and, you know, that comes from somewhere. But I also learned through having kids that like I'm a lot more go with the flow than I think I was. You can't control everything. It created a new boundary for me, meaning I would go so hard and work before I had kids to the point where I literally had nothing left. I thought at the time I didn't need to have anything left because who would it be for, you know, Mm. versus I'm sure you can relate to this. Like when you have kids, they don't care what kind of a week you had. They don't care if you got on a red eye flight and like have been busting your butt and you're exhausted. If they need you, they need you. And so it created this protective measure within me where I always know I can't go all the way to zero. I can't even go to 10. Like you have to leave something for your family. You have to leave something for those moments when they need you. And you have to leave something for yourself, which is something I never appreciated before.
1: And specifically that something for yourself, that happened after kids? After kids,
0: not before, Mm -hmm. after.
1: So give me a personal, maybe something comes up for you, a specific moment, a memory where it kind of hit you, where you're like, okay, I need to create some kind of separation. I need to put in the work to go and explore
0: this other side of Joanna? You know, I think it's those moments and, you know, I even remember with my son where you realize how quickly it goes. Mm. And I've, you know, with all three of my kids went back to work really fast. And so it's almost like an instant and you're back into it. But I remember being, Cole was about six months old and I couldn't believe how fast that happened. I'm never good it's at so like scary. It's right? so scary. Oh my yeah. God. And I'm, you know, I think I'm gonna be good at those things that other moms do, like, you know, the pictures with the block. Yeah. Or they take them every month. <laughs> or Like month. the
1: first day, of Yeah, the first day of whatever, school. Yes. So I'm
0: terrible at that stuff. I'm like, insane. Terrible. I called it
1: the Pinterest mom.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not a know, Pinterest. Specialty. I'm not a Pinterest mom. So finally I got my act together to take like one of those photos. And I realized that six months had passed. And I was like, you know what? No, we are going on an airplane next weekend. We're going on vacation, just our family. Like, I don't care what's happening at work. Like I have missed so many of these moments and I need to be here for this. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I think I realized like just how quickly time goes by. Yeah. Because the last time I'd done that block thing, being so disorganized as a mom was like, month one. So that was definitely, you know, one standout.
1: I mean, it's a good cadence every six months, you know? Yeah. We don't need to overdo it every month.
0: You don't. (laughs) The other, you know, huge transformation for me too is even being pregnant. Like I just, I've noticed for both of my pregnancies, I took such better care of myself when I was pregnant. And it was almost this realization that I didn't think I deserved it when it was just for me. But when I was like entrusting my body to take care of someone else, Mm -hmm. I was way more mindful about sleep, water, obviously, like what you, you know, alcohol, you eat everything, Mm -hmm. working out. And especially with my girls, because I knew I had this uphill battle of a twin pregnancy. My babies are big babies. Like my son was nine and a half pounds. I was like, how on earth am I going to have two of these? And so I was like very, very protective of myself and my self-care and and health throughout that whole process too. Mm
1: -hmm. So it made you to really focus on It did.
0: Yeah. I haven't really, you know, I I like have good days and bad days, but I've, I've definitely kept it up more consistently since that pregnancy.
1: You've mentioned in the beginning of the story how before you were pregnant, you didn't feel like you were kind of worthy of that care. What, where was that from? Like, was that always something?
0: I don't know. I think I come from this family where everyone works incredibly hard. My youngest brother, who's 10 years younger than me, got married over the weekend. And my grandfather was there. My grandfather's 102 years old and he still works every single day. So I kind of come from this family. They're they're quite religious. I mean, both my grandfathers were mini- missionaries and ministers, so they're very religious, where it's almost this idea that like your life is in your own, your life is in service of others, and you work, 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 work. And so I think that was part of the conditioning. You know, it was just like, oh, well, why make time for that? Because there's so much work to do. And you can say that forever. Yeah especially we're just meeting for the first time in person, but I feel like we're wired kind of similarly. Like the work is never done. Mm
1: -hmm. There's no
0: end. So I think it came from, from that way of being raised and really seeing, you know, candidly, even the women in my life in my family, like my mom has had four kids. She's like a really, really successful doctor. She like was the one still at the games, picking up her kids, still hosting every weekend. Like it's how? Almost, I don't know did how. you ask her like, how did how did that work? We just are conditioned to think that that is normal and to think that we can somehow pull it off and make it all work.
1: Did you ever see glimpses
0: of burnout or of just like,
1: uh, from your mom? Because I, I can't even imagine the... Me- like doctor the mental capacity all all of this takes
0: yeah it's a great question I not burnout the way that burnout presents in me right but I definitely saw her be really emotional or sort of fragile in that way which mm-hmm. is a sign that you're kind of like approaching your limit. I wasn't aware enough to triangulate that that was what was happening. She, no, she, she makes it look quite easy.
1: Did she ever have a conversation with you once you started your journey with Nyx and you started having babies? Did she ever sit you down and was like, listen, what I modeled,
0: this is what it was actually like. She's talked to me about, like when I travel a lot, she'll be like, what about your kids? Which is, helpful and also not helpful at all. It's like actually, you know, especially between a mother and a daughter. I feel like it's a very
1: interesting dynamic. right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. It's always like, oh, you travel too much or you work too hard or, you know, I don't know if we've ever had that that conversation around sort of that piece particularly or specifically.
1: It's funny because I remember when I started really leaning into my business and started traveling a lot, it was very difficult for me, obviously, with the the guilt and just all the things that I felt I'm dropping on the home side of things. And I was talking to my mom and my mom raised me basically as a single parent. And she was, to me, I was growing up and I was seeing her going out. She always had friends. She always looked amazing, put together. She was working three jobs. I never felt like something was missing in my life, right? She wasn't there all the time, but she was there when it mattered. Mm -hmm. So... I sat her down and I'm like, "How did you, how did you do it?" Because I, I'm thinking about this trip that I know will benefit my work so much, and I I can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And she broke down and she started crying, being like, "I've walked around with this guilt of neglecting you all these years, and we never talked about it. But the fact that your perception of this whole thing was that I was always around." It was like a healing moment for us, right? Because to her as a mother, she was just constantly thinking about all the wrong choices Mm. she made Mm -hmm. because she wasn't beside me. And I looked at it as, oh my God, the world is so big. There's so much to do. My mother, you know, looking fabulous and doing all the things at the same time. And it was such a healing moment. And it was also for me a bit of a, not a bit, it was a green light to go and pursue everything I set my eyes on because mm. if she modeled that for me, and that's what I grew up seeing and who I aspire to be. I mean, maybe it's going to translate into the kids. Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know.
0: <laughs> you have to lead by example.
1: Exactly. So it was a very touching conversation. So I would highly recommend for you one day to just sit with your mom with a cup of coffee and be like, "Hey." <laughs> Let's talk about it. Because I think that just the load that working moms carry is so difficult. And I was reading this research about the multiple identities that entrepreneurial women
0: carry mm. and the clash. Oh, my God. Yes. I hated this. I mean, I still struggle with it. My team you, knows. you do? Yes. Because especially as a woman entrepreneur, it's like you run the company, but you're also the spokesperson for the company. You're expected to be like a model and show up on shoots. You're expected to run meetings. You're the good cop. You're the bad cop. You're the you know, the fundraiser, there's so many different hats that you wear. But I think if you look at female CEOs specifically, it's that expectation that they're also going to be Mm. the spokesperson. We don't put that on men, you know?
1: That's a really interesting point.
0: Yeah. And then I've read a lot about this. I have thought a lot about this too, especially because the, the era that I've been building, Nixon, which is for the past 10 years, I've seen so many female CEOs step into that role be on the cover of the magazine or, you know, have Mm. the whatever. The girl bus era. The girl bus era and then be torn down for doing the thing that I'm not even sure they wanted to do in the first place. Like for me, the most stressful days at Nicks, candidly, are when we're doing a photo shoot and I have to like show up and be on set and do all those things. Like I, I admire anyone who makes it look so easy. Why is it difficult for you? I don't know. Does I, it
1: pull on like a different
0: side yeah. of your... I'm so used to still being behind, you know, from the early days of being a publicist and, and working behind the scenes. I think I'm open being in front of the scenes and I'm embracing it even more. And I'm, I'm fine to talk. Mm-hmm. I'm fine to give a speech. I'm fine to share words. But when it's just about an image... I really struggle with it.
1: Why? Is it because you're worried that you're going
0: to be perceived a certain way or you're yeah, positioning Yeah, a little your- bit. I mean, we have this joke mix. Like, anytime they ask me to do something, I'm like, okay, what's the rule? And they're like, if you get canceled, we all get canceled. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been this ongoing joke for like four or five years because they're, my team is, you know, pushing me to do more and more and I want to do it. Like I, I love my brand. I love what the company stands for. It's so in line with my values and the things that I care about, but it's been hard watching all of these women be torn down for stepping into that seat, you know, mm. and I would see it too. Like I remember fundraising in the early days of Nick's where I would go and talk to like a VC and I wasn't really on Instagram yet at the time. And this was a particular person who'd backed a lot of the like girl boss CEOs. And he told me I was lazy. Because I wasn't posting in the morning what outfit I was wearing. Wow. So it was actually a mandate. It was part of this is what you bring to the table. Yeah. It was like, what a missed opportunity. You know, you don't care enough about your company because you're not stepping into that kind of seat or what have you. It was a really interesting dynamic.
1: It's so interesting to look at it now because I'm... I mean, I saw what happened with Glossier, speaking of the women that were like forefront of all of this era uh, getting torn down. It was crazy to see how they, in a way, created this very,
0: a bit of a trap right? Even with Sofia Moroso. Yeah. She posted something really powerful, I think, when that book came out, because it was like, you know, where are all the girl bosses? Where have they gone? Yeah, And she was like, oh, don't mind us. We're just hiding in the corner, basically trying not to take up too much space in fear that we're going to be torn down again. And I think that is like a very real fear that a lot of women face. And it started by the expectation that they should be in the forefront to begin with, which is interesting. So
1: how do you safeguard yourself from getting into that position?
0: Rules like if I get canceled, we all get canceled. I I love that. (laughs) That I am (laughs) going to adopt. How do I safeguard? Not well. Honestly, I constantly overcommit to do those kinds of things. And then Mm -hmm. I have like, it's the most anxiety inducing days for me are those lines.
1: Do you get to learn more about yourself through these
0: kind of opportunities? It depends on what it is. Like I, I love long, meaningful conversations. Like I'm down to talk about whatever. So those things are so easy for me. If it's a photo shoot, am I learning about myself? I guess so. Like every time you do it, you build your confidence and it becomes mm-hmm. like, I don't know, what was it like for you when you first started versus now? or you even talking about podcasts? Like right. you still.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like it's part of my self-discovery I would say journey, and I'm very big on self-discovery, not self-development, not self-improvement. I don't want any of that. Mm. It's more about putting myself in this situations that don't feel natural to me. Um, honestly, even social media did not feel naturally to me. I didn't step into it being like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, exactly what I'm supposed to do. It actually started from this place of me wanting to spread information. Back then, it was my holistic nutrition education. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for ways to find a wider audience. Like, how do I take all of this and put it out there? And when I found social media, it crippled me. I thought that I'm I'm coming from the background of modeling. I thought that I'm confident in front of the camera. This mm. is like natural. It's a very natural transition. And when I turned on that camera in my kitchen and I started talking I remember sitting and watching that video and literally going under the table just like...
0: Cringing, yeah.
1: I hated the way I sounded. I hated my grammar, my vocabulary. Everything just felt so wrong. But it also indicated that I have so much work to do, Mm. right? Because that like self-acceptance, that just like, why am I so harsh with myself like the self-judgment this is an opportunity for me to grow and I wanted to just be like okay this is not my thing I'm I'm done I'm just going to continue you know posting blog posts mm. but I push myself to that because I've with the years and it's still happening to me I'm learning more and more about myself and this podcast is just another venture another opportunity for me to really shed light on all these blind spots that I have. So I wonder how it is for you. Like what drives you to continue doing it? I know that you're doing it obviously for the benefit of the company because you have a bigger mission, Mm -hmm. but did you ever look at it as a bit of a self-discovery journey for
0: yourself? Joanna Griffith? Now join a group with Nix. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't think I've looked at it that way. So maybe I should start. So maybe if I change the narrative, I'll see how it how it goes. I love challenging myself too. Like, you know, last week, mm-hmm. super busy week. Some reason, you know, I was going to do speaking on stage at a big conference. Was, you know, three months ago, I was like, I'll do a keynote, not a fireside chat. And then as the d- week let up, I was like, why the hell did I say yes to that? Like I could have just walked on stage. It'd been so easy. And instead I'm like writing a speech and stressing out. But I did it because I wanted to push myself. And so I definitely find those moments and opportunities to stretch myself outside of my comfort zone and to challenge myself. I don't know if I viewed the more photography angle the same way. So I think it's cool. And I think, you know what, if I actually made time and space to find the ways to express myself the way that I want to, Mm -hmm. that could be something that would be really interesting for me too.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found that a lot of my weaknesses became our, my powers mm. once I changed kind of the way I view these opportunities. Mm. I'm excited. I'm yeah. going to touch base with you about yeah. it next year. Be like, so how's that going?
0: Yeah. And you know, it's cool too, because I think through the brand, we really encourage people to model, to step outside of their comfort zone. And so I've done so many things I never thought I would do. Like what? Like last year, we did this event called Confidence Tour. And I, I was, saw that. That looked amazing. It was so fun. Like, it was one of the best nights of my life. Like, who knew being in a room full of like women in their underwear just screaming and shouting could be so much fun. But it was. And, you know, I thought I was going to help host an MCB event. But I ended up with Sarah, who you know, mm-hmm. opening the show, like walking down the stage in my underwear, you know, like kicking everything off. And I knew I was like, I have to set the tone here. If I don't feel confident and bring the energy, how can I ask other people to do that? Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in moments like that where I, I am really stepping beyond something I ever could have imagined I would do being able to do something like that and show up and have the confidence, even if I didn't, but I did it, you know, and it was fun and it started something. So in those moments, I definitely look back and I'm like, wow, I've come so incredibly far. Like if you, if you told me 10 years ago, I would do this, I never would have believed you. And I love measuring progress on those kinds of milestones, Mm -hmm. not like awards or customer counts, but like something that would have scared the shit out of me or a problem with work that would have broken me. Or I'm sure you can relate to this. Like in the early days when you're starting out, you take everything so personally, like so many really hard moments and days. And yeah, like looking at those things and being like, wow, okay, year two of NYX, this would have had me on the floor. And it did have me on the floor. And now I'm just like brush it off. Like
1: right, just another day,
0: just another day. I keep going. So, yeah. So there's, there are moments like that where I'm, I'm proud of myself for sure. Yeah.
1: The days, the early days of Nick's when you
0: were on the floor, mm-hmm. how did you get back up? Sometimes slowly, truly. And sometimes I didn't want to. Yeah. Like, honestly, I didn't want to think when you're starting out and you don't have that like support system around you, or you don't have the momentum behind you Mm -hmm. every single day, you have to get up and create the momentum yourself. And when you're empty or you're broken, it's really hard to kind of find that, that movement. I always from day one attached next to something bigger than me. I was like, our purpose is so much greater than selling underwear. Like if we deliver in helping people authentically like who they are, then we will have ha- made a really big impact, and so that was very helpful for me. It made it easier to ask for things. It made it easier to fight for things. It made it all feel a lot less self-centered. Or even though it's not starting a company isn't self-centered, but you know what I'm talking about, like you, because
1: you put yourself out yeah, there every single day, yeah. right? Like raising money, you know, proving to people yeah. that it's something worth believing in. It's it's very personal in the beginning. Yeah. It starts becoming less personal when you build an infrastructure and people and it's becoming a bit more there's a bit more order. You can yeah. step back a little bit, but I think it's very personal. That's why I'm so curious about your personal journey mm-hmm. because in the beginning of building something like that, you carry it on yourself, on your shoulders. And the company didn't have the data and the success rates and the stories back then right to back it up so you have to continue like telling that story that narrative of what it's going to
0: be my first investors when they met me you know they sh- they shared this with me after the fact like probably a couple years ago so not not at the beginning they said, Joanna, we gave you money because we knew that you would rather die than not pay us back. (laughs) Like failure was not that, do you know what I mean? Like pivot, evolve, change directions, like Mm. end up in a completely different place, no problem. But I was always going to give them their money back. Like I just took it so personally and so seriously. And so I had to keep, and that, you know, that's, that's one motivator was, was, the expectations that other people have on you, but I think I grew up like just in a really high accountability household, mm. where if you say you're going to do something, like you follow through, you follow through, yeah. And we we've we, I've led the company that way too. Like we, if we say we're doing something, chances are we've already done it. Yeah. Like so many people say and then do. I I want to do and then say. You know. Mm-hmm. So
1: are you the same? Like that in your personal 100%, life? hundred
0: percent. Yeah. I don't understand people who are flaky or let let others down. It just, it doesn't sit right with me. I completely respect the idea of saying no, you know, or like protecting yourself and your boundaries. I'm very much like if I say I'm going to do something with a friend or a family member, like I'm going to do it. No excuses. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, I wanted to dive a little deeper into this whole work life integration. And I started using the word integration not balance because I hate
0: balance. Same.
1: Yeah. Balance is uh, very misleading, uh, but integration feels more effortful and a bit more of a process, which it is. Mm -hmm.
0: How does that look like for you? You know, I'm lucky now being 10 years in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've realized it really is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so you have to kind of like find the moments to, to make it work. I'm very protective of my weekends. So really try to be present in there with my kids over the weekends. Mm. We've made a lot of choices in that regard too. Like a lot of people would have had more, more extra help than we chose to have. But I knew if I had that, then like I wouldn't be there as much, if that makes sense. So definitely in that regard. And then I love the word integration. I also love this idea of rhythm. And it's, I heard someone say this when I was first starting out and it made a lot of sense to me. It's like, you're going to have moments in your life where you're really busy and you can't spend as much time with, with friends or family. And then you'll find yourself on a downbeat where you have a little bit more time on your hands. And so in those downbeats, make sure you refill your cup and make sure you're taking advantage of those moments and kind of being around the people you love. And so I give myself way more grace now knowing that. Like mm-hmm. I can have two to three months where I, I don't really see my friends and I kind of fall out of touch, but I know that the second I have a downbeat, I'm going to be right back in re-emerge. there. Yeah.
1: When did it happen? Because for me, in the first, I would say five years of my business, every time I didn't yield results, mm-hmm. I felt guilty. So the, that kind of rhythm mm-hmm. of, recognizing when you're up, it's time to push. And when you're down, it's time to let go and fill up your cup in other areas. I was giving myself so much guilt during the downtime, mm.
0: because
1: I was like, uh, what am I doing? Like the business is not moving. It's not. Yeah.
0: I, I, how do you navigate uh, that? Well, I wanted to, I relate to that? I to. I that. definitely can.
1: Because in, in the, you know, in real, I mean, no, not in reality. In uh, the idea of leaning into the downtimes, it's really beautiful and nice, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to do.
0: It is. Okay. So I have two speeds, like zero or a hundred. Nothing in between. Not really, (laughs) but I can go to zero like in a way that I think surprises people. Like if given the opportunity, I can lie in bed all day, binge watch reality TV for like 10 hours at a time. (laughs) Like I can just like take that moment, Mm -hmm. you know, when I started my undergrad career, I feel like I started more at zero than I did at a hundred. And then I like learned to live more at the 100 level, probably in fear of the zero. Mm -hmm. So I started to allow myself to do that when I realized that, Going there didn't mean that I couldn't dial back up, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially, I think, because in those early days of NYX, when you would stop, it would be so hard
1: to get back up. Yeah. The rhythm, the, yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. So you sort of had to, because the momentum wasn't there. So, like I said, you had to drive it yourself. What I'm trying to do more now is maybe not, I'm not, I'm not doing this successfully. So I'll just say (laughs) that maybe not live as much at either extreme. Like, what if I spent more time? Somewhere between zero and a hundred. What would that look like? You know, how great would that be? So I'm trying to do more of that. Do you have
1: any reminders for yourself for that? Like what, anything that kind of like, okay, I'm going
0: too much here and too much
1: there. Remember?
0: I feel it in my body. Like I just, I get, I start to feel anxious and I know that I'm like about to, to overdo it. So it's it's more of like an alarm system than a reminder. I would say like I don't know if you can relate to this yeah, at 100%. all. I just like I'm like oh god, we are like one week away from complete crash crash yeah. So then I have a chance to stop it. So I think that's good. Yeah, I I've, I've tried to learn. I work with a hypnotherapist. That's been something that's been really important to me. Ooh. Yeah, I know I've been doing it for three to four years. I feel like you would be. Tell me more. How did that come about? I got connected to her through a, a good friend of mine, Michelle Romanoff, who's also an entrepreneur. And we started working together throughout COVID, really, after my son was born, but before my girls were born. That's one of the things I've really been working through is getting my mind to thrive in the quiet. I can thrive in the chaos more than most people. Like I like chaos. I can deal a lot with change, but... How do I learn to actually like thrive and recharge in the quiet? And that's something that I've been really working on.
1: I think a lot of people don't realize that part of the, I don't even know if it's just entrepreneurs anymore. I feel like in today's time and age, we're all are in this chaos constantly Mm -hmm. that the idea, even when we create this quiet environment, we actually don't know how to Oh, tap yes. into it, like actually be in it. We right? don't. That's why I think a lot of the concept of like self-care and self-love, a lot of it um, started with a lot of fuzzy and kind of, you know, like have a mask, have a bubble bath. Yeah. And it's cre- creating the environment. But if you can't like restart your mind, it's not going to
0: work. It's not going to yeah, work. Yeah. So for you, the hypnotherapy was has helped because int- I was very much the same. I mean, working in music, my first job, there was music blaring at every single person's desk. Like this was how I learned to to work. So when I was writing my GMATs to go to business school, I had to go study at loud cafes because I actually couldn't think in a library. Like I need to exist in in the chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was like a really cool visualization exercise I did with Grace who helps me and It was this idea that I've like lived in this room that's just filled with like graffiti everywhere and it's like shape shifting and stuff. And then when it's a blank canvas, like what can you start to create, you know, and how do you like become more comfortable sitting in those quiet moments? So even now I, I don't travel as much as I used to. I used to travel a lot more before COVID, but you know, how do you use those times to just have a minute when you're. On an airplane by yourself, without the distractions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah, I can visualize that so clearly. I know, I know. And back to the identity thing too. She really helped me with that as well. Like, I did this one exercise, and this is part of the reason why I made the decision to sell the company or sell the majority of the company was I did this exercise, and there was like a paperweight, like a glass paperweight in the shape of a prism. Mm And so she got me to recognize the fact that for the last, like, 10 years of my life, I've taken this prism and put it up to my heart. And, like, every single cause I care about, every topic I want to cover, every taboo I want to break down, I have, like, laser beam po- pointed it into NYX. So it's really easy to feel like, is that me or is that the company? Right. And what happens if, if they're not together anymore? And she got me to do this really powerful exercise where I took that same paperweight, I put it up to the same heart, but you turned it around. And all of a sudden, the light, instead of shining on one thing, could shine on all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, And that was really groundbreaking for me too. So
1: based on that exercise, you started thinking about selling the company? Like that's where it started? That was... Or did it come to you before?
0: I had um, been reached out to, so I was in discussions to do this, and it's a pretty big decision, you know, especially for something that you've tied so much of your meaning to, and that was probably the most groundbreaking experience that really showed me. I love pointing a laser beam, but I really want to point, there's more things that I want to be able to shine a light on. And once I saw all of those things visually in the light, like my family, my friends, causes, I couldn't put them back in the dark.
1: This is what I'm talking about, right? When we started this conversation and I was asking about your identity, Yeah. this is where I wanted to hear your experience yeah. because a lot of us tie so much of these things that we build. Honestly, even the roles that we play, not even a career, but motherhood. Uh, You know, being a wife, being a friend. Like a lot of the times we do exactly that where we put so much of our core and identity into one role. Yeah. And I always think about what's going to happen when it's going to not even go away, but change. Mm -hmm. Like how is it going to affect me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be like a leaf in the wind? Mm -hmm. You know, just going with whatever whatever the wind blows. And for me, one of the biggest shift specifically in motherhood that happened was when I was reading um, Eckhart Tolle, New Earth. Mm-hmm. He had this chapter and it's a very, it's, the book is just, there's so much insights and you'll have to read it very slowly and pick it up at certain moments in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause a lot of the times the concepts are just do not penetrate. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up at this moment where I was in a bit of a struggle between leaning more into my career, but then creating a space for my real self and moving, you know, away from the identity of the social media persona, but then also feeling guilty that I'm not running towards my identity as a mom. Like I f- didn't fully feel like I will be happy doing that a hundred percent. So very confused. And I read this chapter about the roles and he was talking about the concept of, these are all roles that we play in our lifetime. And sometimes these roles will change, will go away. And this constant importance of building the core, the, that identity aside from all these roles is so important because you'll be able to know when to surrender, when to let go, when to pull one closer and you know, release one. And that just changed my life. It made everything so much more simple. Like not everything is on me. And Mm. not everything is like, you know, felt lighter. Yeah. So that was a big thing. What made you, were you going back and forth with your decision that you reached out
0: to do this visualization? I wasn't going back and forth. I mean, I've been, I was really lucky to kind of work with Grace, who's been supporting me through these like very big moments of like major change and transition. And I I didn't know that that was going to be the case when I started working with her. I just, I felt like I needed to change as a person. I had a lot of work to do to kind of be more comfortable with who I was and like myself more authentically and show up as myself. And so this felt, hypnotherapy felt like a great way to do it. And so that's how it all started. But no, she was really, really helpful working through that very, very big life choice and decision. And if you know me, you know, I'm like, I'm not financially motivated. That's not what drives me. Like I, I want Nick to have a home and I want to have the biggest impact that I can as a person while I am fortunate enough to like live on this earth. Mm-hmm. And so it was that kind of moment of seeing like, okay, this could enable me to have a bigger impact. And actually, why don't I move forward with that? So it was
1: never about money. Was it ever about
0: ego? Was it ever like, I need to prove to people? Ah, okay. In the beginning, yes, for sure. I was very, very driven by ego in the beginning. It was all about proving people wrong. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people in my life who were extremely supportive of what I was doing. My par- my like husband and partner is amazing. He really pushed and encouraged me to do it. It was pretty atypical for my family to do this. And I got told no so many times because the idea was really kind of, Crazy, yeah. like I mean, I like, mean, you were very like, ahead of the game, I must say. Like, now it seems commonplace because so many people use, you know, period underwear, leak-proof underwear. But at the time, it was like, yeah, people are like, you're going to make what? Like, how does this work? What are you talking? How do we about? market this? How do we market <laughs> this? Just do people want to use that? Just every question. So absolutely, ego and proving people wrong was a really big motivator for me in the beginning. That unlocked a side of my personality that I just did not like. Really? 100%.
1: What did it show you about yourself?
0: I would way more prefer to collaborate than to compete. Mm -hmm. I can be like a vicious competitor. I can fight. I can, I do not like that part of me. So it taught me that. It kind of like robs your joy when so much of what you're trying to do is for to prove someone else wrong. Does that make sense? Kind yeah, of yeah, like of it's course.
1: just because it, you achieve it, but it, it doesn't, there,
0: doesn't yeah, fill you up in any no, way. No, no, no. Yeah, very
1: fleeting feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, those were all kind of some of the things that I really wanted to work on as a person. Like I just I wanted about mm-hmm. something more meaningful and different. But it was never about money, which is very interesting. Very
1: interesting. Mm-hmm
0: it was about accountability. I definitely didn't want to let people down. I had investors. So obviously like that comes with it. And then it was about in the beginning, proving a lot of people wrong. And then over time it shifted into more, okay, what's the impact that you can have? How can you like build a better life and world than like you inherited? And Mm -hmm. how can you drive this change in people? And I think, you know, slowly over the last decade of like doing all these things, like oftentimes leading the way with Nick's and being vulnerable and being really open. I just realized that like that change is so incredible. It feels so much better to be comfortable with who you are and like who you are and be at ease with who you are. And so, yeah, so there was a, a shift that happened.
1: I kind of love the idea that Nyx is kind of your... Road for your own self-discovery, right? It's like it's serving you. I mean, I know that the impact and the purpose and the message is so much larger, but unless it changes you as a person, someone who touches this company every single day, it has so much more impact, right? When it touches you personally. Mm. And I mean, you've learned so much about yourself through this journey. It's really cool. I'm leaving with like, I'm processing a lot of uh, information. Yeah. (laughs) Life After Birth. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that project.
0: That was my first maternity leave project, I guess you could call it. So I found myself in this really unique situation where I was pregnant, expecting Cole, my first child, and was also developing a maternity line at the same time. So I was really like, felt like I should be better prepared than anyone because I was doing focus groups with new moms and I was like looking at the le- market and everything that existed. And so in my brain, I was like, oh, like I got this, you know, mm-hmm. I did the hypnobirthing. I had a doula. I was like very on it. And my world was rocked when I had my child. I really, really underappreciated just how much of a physical, emotional, hormonal transformation birth is. And I found myself delusionally thinking three days after giving birth to my son that I could go to an award show and accept an award and give a speech. <laughs> like oh I my like, God. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be there. Absolutely not. And instead I found myself in like a consultation room at the hospital because we were having such a hard time with breastfeeding. And it was getting to the point where we we're kind of like, okay, what are we going to do here? that whole experience really took a toll on my mental health and um you know i think so many people experience postpartum depression uh it takes many different shapes and, and forms i remember coming back to work maybe 4 weeks after cole was born and we were going to launch this maternity line and i made this like incredibly bad power like deck powerpoint deck and said this is what i want to do and i just showed all of these like graphic visceral images of birth and post-birth and they almost felt like photography from like a a really intense like war zone or something because you just see the people like Mm -hmm. so raw with emotion and you know so that was the idea and my team was like what has happened to Joanna? (laughs) She wants to what she wanted I was I like Joanna is <laughs> born. I was like, I don't want to talk about the product. I don't want to do anything. I just want to make an art gallery that just has all of these images and celebrates like the strength and beauty and acknowledges this idea that like you're not postpartum for one day, for three weeks, for six weeks, it's not the fourth trimester, you're postpartum forever. Mm-hmm. And so we turned it into this gallery and we launched it in Soho, New York. There's some hilarious, behind the scenes footage of putting that gallery together. Cause we do
1: can only imagine. Yeah. We're
0: still, you know, I still like to be scrappy. My team's always like, get someone to help us with that. But you know, we like put all the images up ourselves. Cole, my son sat in one of those like self baby Bjorns mm-hmm. and we left him for two hours and he was staring in front of like this really horrific graphic, graphic. image. like, just like Oh that we have just been facing this thing for like hours. But you no, know, we launched with this dinner and it was like one of the best nights I think we've had at Nick's. Like every, not every, but like most, so many editors came from across New York and we just sat and had this intimate conversation and everyone was crying and everyone was hugging and everyone was like really leaning into these conversations in mm-hmm. a way that they hadn't before. As Life After Birth, it started as a photography exhibit. Rizzoli, who makes like beautiful coffee table books, published it as a book. Uh came out probably a year or so ago. Um, and you're in it?
1: Yes. yeah, yes, very honored. Um, no, I, I love the project. I love the intention and the messaging and just the exposure to these images that we don't often see. To be honest with you, I those still are very scary to me, and I gave birth three times. Yeah. but they're so powerful and there's just it represents a huge shift in a woman's life how did you navigate that? I call it the fourth trimester.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you navigate that fourth
0: trimester and going back to work? I mean, this book or exhibit really became my my focus. It was kind of my way back into work. I love when I get to do those, like I said, you know, things I care about. So I, I really focused a lot on creating that exhibit. And it was super healing for me too, to kind of collect these stories and hear from all these different people and recognize that in those moments where I felt lost and alone and overwhelmed with love too, though. Cause you like have this person who needs you that I wasn't alone and all these there's so many people have been through something similar. So it, it helped me get back to work actually. It, like gave me that purpose. And it was such a great incredible thing to get to be a part of
1: that's so beautiful the, asp- the the feeling of that aloneness and the duality of motherhood where you feel whole and empty and you know fulfilled yet completely lost you don't know who you are yet you do know who you are you're trying to figure out there's just so many layers of that. I mean, I love that you, I I've kind of hear that you have a a way of dealing things and it's through these like creative projects. Yeah, it's true. It's
0: true. I say my superpowers, I can turn pain into purpose. Like I Mm. am really good at kind of finding my way through these moments of personal darkness through creating something bigger with it. You know what I mean? Like I grew up with really crappy body image. And so Nyx has kind of been a vehicle to, to help work through that. When I experienced pregnancy loss, we started Faces of Fertility, our campaign, where we really shined a lot of light on how hard that is. And that gave me so much meaning to kind of like rally behind that piece. Mm. I don't know if it's a tip or if it's a tool or whatever it is, but I think that as a society, we put so much pressure when we're having those thoughts and feelings to ignore them and to not talk about it and to kind of suffer your way through alone And actually what I have found has been extremely therapeutic is don't ignore it, talk about it, find the community that's also there because you are absolutely not alone in those moments. And so I think that's what these creative projects allowed me to do.
1: If you weren't doing NYX, how do you think it would have manifested itself?
0: I have no idea. I guess we'll never know. (laughs) It's such a good question. What would I have done? I don't know. I don't know. Like in an alternate universe, yeah. like what would have happened? Yeah. I don't know. Do you ever think about it if you didn't go for
1: the Knicks? Because Knicks started a part, when you were still in school, right? You were getting your MBA. Yeah, yeah, my business
0: degree. Yeah. So what would, I mean, I worked in, in media and entertainment before that. So I think I would probably be around that. The storytelling aspect would have still been I think so. Part I think so. I love I love storytelling as a means of like building connection and and bringing people together and it's how we used to do things, you know, truly. Like when before we had phones and TV and all those different things, like families and communities were built around stories. And so I just love that. I love that thread and I want to do more continue to do more of it. You really
1: set the tone in the industry in my opinion of creating a community that is not focused on necessarily the product it's not the value is not just the product is all all that comes with it right the community the open conversations the support system
0: that's absolutely amazing I'm so proud of you (laughs) I think when you're making something that people so so Obviously, need and like I, I really think period underwear, leak-proof underwear, is one of those products. Like, mm-hmm. It obviously was needed by so many people. It gives you the flexibility to not need to focus so much on selling someone about why they need that product, and instead you can focus more on building a community, building you know a shared experience, and it's been. Such a joy to get to do that at Nix. And I I don't take for granted, you know, you're in this book. Phenomenal people have lent their stories to us. And it's it's something that we really cherish here is that people trust us enough to kind of act as that vehicle to share their personal experiences and stories too.
1: And you continue to expand on the overall messaging and the layers that Nick's touches? Like even in terms of, I know you're writing a book, you already released a book, the period book?
0: Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. We launched a book, a kid's children's book about periods called Some Periods, which is designed to help parents really facilitate early conversations with the kids in their life about periods.
1: Yeah. So you keep like pushing, you know, the envelope on this is a product, but it touches the postpartum. It touches this. It touches women in
0: all, you know, ages, sizes. Through our fund, we're like um, helping produce a documentary that I'm really excited about. So we're doing a lot around storytelling and it's like, it's so exciting. That's your so, superpower. Storytelling, you yeah, think? Yeah. 100%. Oh. Oh. I would love that to be my superpower. It is. Cool. I mean,
1: look what NYX is built on, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storytelling. Yeah. It's beautiful. Okay, final question. I want to touch on self worth and self esteem. Mm-hmm. So, self worth is I'm just going to define it for you. Unconditional self worth is distinct from our accomplishment and abilities. It's not about comparing ourselves to others. It's not something we can have more or less of. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem, derived from our abilities to accomplishments, social positions, and things we believe we can achieve. If NYX is gone tomorrow, God forbid it won't, but if it's gone, do you feel the self-worth will stay? If you built yourself up through this development of the company, this amazing company you build? to withstand, you know?
0: I think I would have a hard time. I won't lie. Like I think it would be rocky at first, but going back to that session I did, the beam was pointed towards Nick's, the heart and all of the things that I care about came from me. And so with the company, without the company, no one can kind of take that away from me. And I know that it's like you were describing once you realize that like the role might change, these Mm -hmm. things might change, but no one can really take from you like your core and essence of who you are. So I'd find some other way to channel that, that like burning desire in me to kind of have an impact. Yeah. I'm sure you will. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Joanna, thank you so much thank this you too. really wonderful yeah, really nice spending time with you what a good chat thank you so much for watching this episode I hope you enjoyed it don't miss my newest episode right here and if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or Spotify please go and leave a review with your biggest takeaway I love reading your thoughts and if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you can leave them in the comment section and always, always remember You are not alone.